0: Colleagues, welcome back to the office and to the second part of our presentation here today of virtual offices for your organizations. Now, in the first part of our class, we took a look at some of the major compelling reasons why to create a virtual office. We also looked at some of the compelling reasons maybe to keep an existing office Uh, some of the things that we could potentially gain, as well as some of the things that we're going to be risking inside of our business by allowing people to work uh, remotely and be able to work from anywhere. Now, we also went through and we talked through some of the the service levels of the cloud, Uh, starting our discussion with a different understanding of the layers of the cloud, including infrastructure as a service, software as a service, and more. And we started our discussion with some of the different ways that we could interact with our applications and our data by being out of the office. Um, we talked about what a VPN is, virtual private network, and how it creates a secure tunnel for being able to communicate and collaborate with our office remotely and encrypting traffic. And as well as how we can use remote desktop uh, protocol, RDP or RDC, remote desktop connection, to be able to communicate and collaborate And we're going to pick up our discussion right there and talk about our next method of remote access, which is going to be a VDI. Now, we're going to continue to discuss through uh, other methods here, including like progressive web apps, smartphone apps, and some different cloud providers and more. And then we're going to dive in and take a look at our hardware, uh, getting a sense of... Uh, the different types of hardware and services that we might want to consider for our organization. But let's go ahead and start back here with VDI and get a sense of what the heck this is and how it can help our business. Now, in a nutshell, VDI is like a traditional desktop experience, uh, but instead of logging in on your local computer where there is a physical, you know, computer under your desk or it's a notebook computer, Uh, instead we're actually logging in to a centrally managed server or a cloud provider, okay? Now, what's nice about this is that from a infrastructure perspective, a security perspective, a management perspective, everything is essentially taken care of in one central place. Uh, And instead of having to install and access applications potentially on hundreds or even thousands of machines, I just maintain uh, either a server or a small collections of server, and then we all interact and work from there. And so this allows a company to kind of have that traditional like Windows desktop experience, um, but everything essentially managed from an IT perspective. Uh, In a nutshell, we've uh, got one server or a small collections of servers. We install our tax and accounting applications. We install Office so on and so forth, on one or two boxes, and everybody remotes in. It doesn't matter if they're in the central office or working from home. In the context of uh, of VDI, essentially everybody is working remote, regardless uh, because the servers generally are not in that same position of wherever that office is. Uh, Generally, those servers are going to be in a data center. Uh, They're probably going to be running in an infrastructure provider, such as Amazon Web Services or... um, Rackspace, Azure, and more. Um, and I think this is a really kind of good option um, for a lot of different businesses, especially businesses that have traditional legacy or proprietary applications that aren't natively cloud-based. And I'll talk about native cloud apps here in a minute. But let's say you're running a proprietary ERP solution, enterprise resource planning, or you've got a super old inventory system that, uh, you know, frankly cannot be changed. Um That we could essentially use uh, a um, a traditional like experience here, but we put it into the cloud, and then everybody accesses it and and works with it uh, um, through that cloud provider. And this is a really kind of good stopgap, especially if you don't want to kind of like go out and create a whole new set of applications and services uh, that are browser based, you know, that are REST API based. I mean, you just got again that traditional ERP solution or inventory solution. This is a great way for you to be able to interact with that, um, regardless of where you are. So, uh, it's something that uh, people still use quite often. I'm going to mention a couple of providers here that can that can offer you those services. Um, You know, one of which being Amazon Workspaces. Uh, This is a really good solution for VDI. Uh, And in a nutshell, you just, you know, kind of pay Amazon a set fee that gives you a virtual machine that you can use however you'd like. Uh, And that Amazon Workspaces is a centrally managed desktop computing experience running 100% in the cloud. And every employee has their own workspace. They can be networked together so they can exchange files with each other. Uh, and you can access your Amazon Workspace using whatever device you'd like. Um, you can use a traditional computer like a laptop. You can use a tablet and more. And what's nice with this is it's immediately upgradable. There's no major massive investment for you. Uh, new hardware comes out you want to upgrade your desktop to the latest and greatest. Great. You can do that with pretty much a click of a button. Uh, and likewise, if you want to get started and try you know, what this virtual desktop would be, uh, there 's no upfront investment for you. Uh, the prices are pretty reasonable. They range from twenty five dollars to seventy five dollars per month. Um, the biggest drawback with a provider such as Amazon workspaces is that you got to do all the work and it it is not a turnkey product in the sense of a for like a financial professional it 's a good product for like you know a software company or it 's a good product for companies that have existing i t infrastructure and i t service people that can set this up. Um, it's not overly complicated, but there are some gotchas in there that do make it frankly a little bit more difficult. But I will say its benefit is that it's really cost effective. And if you've got existing IT companies uh or a service provider, it's a great way of getting started. Now, a, another provider, let's say you don't have that level of technical expertise. Uh, but you still want the VDI where you got a central desktop and all the security, the management, the configuration, everything is kind of just taken care of for you. Well, a company that I would strongly encourage you to check out is going to be Centrum, okay? Uh, Centrum is a cloud hosting provider that primarily serves the needs of accounting and financial professionals, uh, accounting firms, as well as, you know, departments of, of a company for their accounting services that are looking to be cloud-based. Centrum specifically caters to their needs. And what they will do is they'll set up a VDI for you, that virtual desktop. They'll set up your cloud. They'll, they'll manage your data. They'll move your data over. They'll secure it. They do backups. Uh, they will also, for example, host a variety of different applications coming from pretty much every major provider for you, and they just take care of all of it. And, I mean, they've got great reliability. They've got somebody you can call. Amazon, as great as it is, there's no one to call. If it doesn't work the way you want it to work, uh, unfortunately there's really kind of nothing for you to do about it. Uh, Amazon does not offer uh, resources to be able to um, resolve issues. It's not what they're designed to do. They are a provider. Um, So really, I mean, Amazon's intended to be used by people who know what they're doing and have technical expertise and networking knowledge and, and cloud knowledge. Uh, if you're looking just basically to get it to work and you just want it to work and you don't want paying a little bit more well that's going to be really kind of a good option for you if you want to tackle it yourself and you want to have lots of flexibility that's when the aws option is really kind of effective now everything we've talked about thus far vpn and with um the uh Remote desktop uh, connection and this VDI, in a lot of respects, I would say this is really gen one of cloud tech. Uh, it's not that these are bad or, or or shouldn't be used. It's just there's better, newer ways of being able to connect to this now and be able to service and work uh, that we should really kind of consider for our businesses. And um, starting first and foremost with what we call progressive web applications, uh, now, a traditional application, you get an installer, you open it up from your downloads, you install it inside of your computer, it puts a thing inside of your start menu. I mean, it could be like a, a file, uh, a comp, uh, an application like QuickBooks. I mean, it could be gigabytes in size. It could take a long time, and you got to configure everything. Okay, there's better ways of doing things now. And in fact, uh, when we talk about, let's say, Gen 2 or even maybe even Gen 3 cloud applications, they just don't work that way anymore Uh, in a lot of respects what we do is we put something on the user's computer but really the guts live somewhere else they live in a cloud service center somewhere not on your local computer and so there are three different ways that we can access these kind of next-gen systems there's progressive web applications there are smartphone device apps and then there are uh, websites okay well we'll talk through all three of these here Now, the the first one I want to talk about is this progressive web app, okay? And this is kind of like it's got a foot in both worlds, right? So a progressive web app is like a traditional application in the sense that it is something that goes on your start menu, it gets an icon put on your desktop, uh, but only a fraction, a tiny fraction of the actual application is actually installed on your computer, and a majority of it, uh, the guts, as I said here, are really kind of being provided at a service center or a remote server or a cloud provider elsewhere. And so you basically like have like a allow me this like kind of example. I call them pointer applications. You've got a shell of an application that's installed inside of your machine that uh, might manage really basic features connectivity really basic stuff but all the kind of processing power and you know the the stuff that really makes that application work is actually being provided directly from a cloud provider somewhere out on the internet okay what's nice about these is that they are really lightweight um in the sense that they don't really have large installers they can be downloaded and and set up really quickly a lot of the configuration setup uh, data management is all being taken care of for you remotely Uh, So the user gets an application that still feels pretty friendly, easy to use, uh, but the company is still kind of getting the benefits of that centrally managed experience, and it's just kind of all just being taken care of on behalf of the user. Uh, These are really great for geographically dispersed companies, uh, companies with a lot of security requirements. Uh, The reason is they still require internet access. Most progressive web apps will not run without access to the internet. They do sometimes have offline mode, but That's not necessarily a rule. Um, And what's nice is you can essentially really kind of ensure that your users are doing what you want them to do and the way that you want them to do it because they have to still be connected to the web. Okay. So, again, always requires an internet connection. Uh, There are some different examples of this. Citrix applications, um, QuickBooks Online, and others will sometimes have these progressive web apps that you can install. And looks and feels and acts like a traditional application, but the guts – and the data are living on a server. And it just requires internet access to run. But you can update them really quickly. You configure them really quickly. Um, from a software development perspective, like this is what my company does. We build a lot of PWAs, Progressive Web Apps. Uh, one of the really kind of cool things with the Progressive Web App is that you can build it in such a way that you're providing a website, a application, and a mobile app all side by side with each other from one code base. And that's one of the major compelling reasons why people choose to do this when they're building software. It's just really cost-effective and it works well. Now, the next method is going to be your mobile apps. Um, Mobile apps are super sophisticated these days. I mean, if you look at an app like Uber, I mean, the company is the app and the app is the company in a lot of respects or even companies like Amazon. Um, You know, Amazon, I have no idea the metrics of this, but I'm willing to bet that they – have as many orders placed through their mobile phone app or their tablet app as they do through their actual website. Um, And mobile apps are a fantastic way of kind of having that virtual office experience because it allows you to be able to operate right from a device that we all have. I often will say in my classes that the mobile phone, your smartphone, is the most intimate device that you own. It's it's often, for many people, the first thing we look at at night, in the morning when we wake up, it's the last thing we look at at night when we go to bed. And having your uh, company have a mobile app is a really kind of good way of being able to operate because it truly gives you the ability to be able to operate anywhere. Uh, Mobile apps are intended to be highly mobile, as the name suggests. Uh, They are location agnostic. Uh, Mobile apps almost always are connected directly to the Internet because the phone's always connected to the Internet. So um, I will be the first to tell you you're not going to do, well, as a tax professional, let's say you're not going to do 100 client tax returns on your mobile device. But it is totally reasonable to think that, you know, if you're a normal person, not a CPA, not an accountant, that you might use the TurboTax app to file your taxes. I mean, it's a fast, effective way to be able to operate. And you could do that whether you're on a beach in, in um, you know, Santa Cruz. Or you could do that if you're in London, uh, you know, going to a, to a play and uh, at the West End. Having access to this uh, through your mobile device is, in my opinion, the real definition of the virtual office. Uh, ideally, we all should be striving to get down to this level. Now, mobile apps are almost always Android based or iOS based. Uh, you know, the last decade really was kind of a major war and what technology is going to win. And technically, there are more Android devices worldwide, but iOS definitely has a more, um, has the larger share, let's call it, of the premium market. Uh, generally I found that, uh, as a software development company, we tend to focus on iOS development more than Android, even though there's more users, the iOS users tend to be more engaged. Uh, and I'm not saying this to trigger anybody, um, but just more a matter of fact, I will also tell you as a software developer, we make more money on iOS apps versus Android apps. Um, if you look at the lifespan of, an, of a user and their device over the course of, uh the lifespan of that device. Your average iPhone user will spend about three hundred dollars. Android is about thirty. So I mean, there's a lot more money to be made on and, on on iOS devices. So generally, um, you know, that's where where better development will take place. But all your big apps, your your Ubers, your Amazons, and more. Um, I would tell you that. Um, They're both options, and I I would tell you that really kind of any any major provider is going to have an option for both. Now, the app will almost always require Internet access. It's going to require a remote, remote server. Data very rarely is actually stored on the device itself above and beyond, like pictures or something like that. Um, you know, if I'm accessing OneDrive on my my mobile device, well, it's pulling that data directly from the cloud. Now I can cache those uh, files on the actual device itself, but really, uh, 99% of the time, like let's say with QuickBooks Online, the data is not on the phone. It's it's actually out in the cloud. Okay, again, good internet access, preferably Wi-Fi, especially if you're at home. Don't burn up your data plan. It will be uh, will be really helpful. Now, the last level of this is websites and web services. And believe it or not, I mean, if you want to talk about the bleeding edge, it's websites, man. I mean, it's kind of like we've come full circle here. Uh, modern websites today like you know, Gmail, for that matter, or Outlook.com or even Teams, for that matter, uh, these can be websites, web services, and I'm going to use those terms interchangeably here. But the latest and greatest, the cutting edge of tech is really being done at the browser level pretty much more than anywhere else now. Uh, and if I, if I you know, look at most of the applications that I'm using, I mean, most of the time I'm accessing really just websites. Uh, Gmail is a good example of this. YouTube is a good example of this and more. It's not that I don't use desktop QuickBooks Online. You know, that one popped into mind as well. It's not that I'm not using uh applications but most of the time I'm interacting with services and those services are going to be primarily interacted with through a website okay now a website is something that you would access through Chrome through edge through Firefox uh, a web service is a part of a website um, it can be a lots of different things uh, but as an example power bi is a desktop application it's also a web service meaning you can publish a report from power bi to the power bi reporting service. Uh, teams likewise is is a full app that can run a hundred percent in browser it's not really a website it's more of a web service so website let's say provides information web service provides some sort of engagement of some way and these are fantastic i mean they're ultimately my personal favorite way of interacting because they have zero footprint if you have access to the internet if you have access to an internet browser you can work Um, And there are lots of different companies, tax companies, accounting companies, where the entirety of their experience is delivered through the browser. And that is best for all parties. Nothing for you to install, nothing for you to configure. It just works. And so with these latest generation, like kind of web standards, I will tell you, and as you're starting to plan your virtual office, the more stuff that you can get through your web browser, the easier it's going to be creating that virtual office for your company. And it's also going to really kind of make things faster, more secure, and and really kind of take a lot of the headache out of trying to, how the heck am I going to work from XYZ? Because, I mean, again, if you have access to the Internet, you get access to a browser, it will work. Uh, there is nothing for you to install, configure, or maintain on that local computer. And the computers are completely uh, hot-swappable, so you can swap out a Mac for a PC and vice versa. You don't have to deal with, like, oh, this is only a PC program, I'm a Mac guy. It'll work. Lots of examples of this, uh, Gmail, YouTube, QuickBooks Online, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, PayPal, so on and so forth. These are all just websites and web services. And the only thing you really need is a modern, recent version of a browser. Chrome and Microsoft Edge are definitely going to be preferred. Uh, If we look at the browser wars here, I will tell you that it really kind of feels that um, uh, Chromium, Based browsers, which are going to be Chrome and Edge, really kind of one. And you're going to get better experience with those tools than you will kind of really anything else. Now, ultimately, you're going to need to pick a cloud provider for your company. Um, Lots of different providers that are out there. Uh, Really, I've got three, uh, two of which I'll discuss. Uh, They are Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, and Amazon Web Services. And really, kind of between the three of these, that's everything you need to know. Um, Google Cloud, super robust giant infrastructure as a service provider here um, you can do pretty much everything inside of google and they've got a huge cloud computing platform that's got over 60 different products that you can build any project with and really kind of do some compelling stuff with uh, you can use google cloud platform to do everything from hosting your firm's website to big data calculations and more uh, pretty cool tool microsoft azure which is Uh, separate than 365, but deeply integrated with 365 is another really kind of good option. We'll talk more about Microsoft products a little bit later on. Uh, But when it comes to just, let's call it pure cloud tech, frankly, I I think the, the, and, and I mean, they are the biggest player in the market and for very good reason is it's Amazon. I mean, AWS, Amazon web services is hands down my preferred partner and, and vendor when it comes to cloud technology, it is, the largest uh, and the most robust infrastructure as a provider. Uh, they've got footprints of technology data centers all over the world, state of the art facilities. Their prices are probably the best uh, certainly more competitive than others. Um, they've got like hundreds of different products and services and tools. Um, I just can't speak enoughly about this product. I mean, it, it's, it's, just that much better than everything else. I mean, it is it is not a little bit better. It's not five percent better. It's like orders of magnitude better. And to the point that for our business, pretty much ninety nine percent of the work that we do for our clients, it's in AWS resources and in AWS centers. We've actually built so much of our business and the products and solutions that we build around AWS just because it's it's it has the best products, it has the best services, and and more. Um, and I will tell you, you can do everything from just a simple web page to running your entire organization and putting all of your organization's servers in the cloud. Um, I will tell you, they've never raised their prices either, which is kind of nifty. Um, you know, and they're always coming out with new stuff. And I, I mean, they're the leader for good reason. I mean, it's just that much better than everything else. All right, folks, let's go ahead and have another review question. Which of the following technologies would allow you to easily access your data while on the go? So let's say you are on the go and you want to be able to access your organizational data and be able to uh, work while you are maybe at a coffee shop or maybe at a, uh, maybe sitting on a beach in, in Cancun or more. And so what would that look like? And what type of, of uh, method would you want to consider here? Okay, would it be a traditional thick client? Uh, I mean, you could do it, but I will tell you that's probably not the most remote that you might want to be, especially if you're looking to be on the go. Likewise, uh, RDP, you could certainly make it work, but it wouldn't be my personal opinion. It wouldn't be what I would encourage you to consider using. Uh, I would tell you the correct answer here would be a progressive web application as well as a mobile app on your smartphone. Uh, Both of these are fantastic options and will work well for you, especially if you're actually out and about and you need the ability to be able to uh, communicate and collaborate uh, with your colleagues while uh, maybe on that beach or maybe on vacation or maybe in your RV in in, uh, beautiful Arizona or Utah. All righty. Let's go ahead and go into our next section here, which is going to be virtual office hardware. Okay. Now, in this section, what we are going to go ahead and look at are going to be some of the hardware that you might want to have inside of your virtual office. Um, this could be working from home. This could be your mobile kit that you've got in your bag that you take when you are out, in the, uh, out and about and more. Ultimately, you're going to need some hardware that you're going to uh, use to be able to be productive and to do some work. Okay, so what type of computer do you need? It really kind of depends. I mean, there's lots of different computers, lots of different methods. Um, I'm going to give you some general recommendations here on some stuff that you might want to consider. Um, But one of the cool things is with the remote office is that generally most of the work is being done on a server um, or in a cloud provider. And the work being done on this centralized server or that cloud provider uh, means a powerful desktop computer might not be required for every single user. Now, myself, I... I I like, I will tell you, bigger is always better. But, you know, for Johnny Accountant, you know, that's just doing tax returns and Excel documents. I mean, they don't need you know, a $10,000 machine. It's something that, uh, you know, even a moderate machine will probably more than service their needs. In fact, you can use what's called a thin client. Uh, These are really kind of really lightweight computers, maybe even not even having any storage. Uh, If it's connecting to a VDI or through a remote desktop, you don't need any local storage. Everything is stored on the cloud. And so that thin client is a good cost-effective option for being able to work remote. Uh, I will tell you, thin clients are generally less expensive than traditional computers, um, and they're a good option. However, if you're going to be working remote and you expect to be traveling, I will tell you that um, a notebook computer is generally going to be uh, preferred. Uh, a notebook computer gives you maximal flexibility because you can pick it up and you can move it around. You, know, you can work from the kitchen counter, you could work from the, uh, from the couch, you can work from your office and more. Uh, so if you need that kind of flexibility, a portable computer is certainly going to be preferred. No matter what you get, you certainly want to run the latest version of Windows. I would tell you at this point in time, Windows 11 is uh, my recommendation, but certainly Windows 10 is still uh, good until it gets sunset, until it retires. Uh, But if you can run Windows 11, I think you'll have a better experience. Uh, And certainly the latest and greatest version of Mac OS. Now, here are my recommendations for 2022 for some of the hardware that you might want to consider. Okay, let's start first uh, with our Windows side of this. And I think a vast majority of you that are watching and listening are probably going to end up on a Windows machine. Uh, But just as a quick preface to this, it really doesn't matter nearly as much in 2022 as it did five years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, now with most of these applications being browser based with a lot of these applications, having mobile phone components and mobile apps, progressive web applications, the difference between Mac and, and windows. I, I mean, it, they're, it's negligible in almost all circumstances saying that though, it's up to you. I mean, I, I, I have both windows machines. I've had plenty of Mac machines over the years. I used to be a Mac guy for probably about 20 years. Uh, ultimately just pick whatever you feel most comfortable with. I will tell you generally windows devices are going to be less expensive. And I personally feel now windows is a better experience than the Mac, but it's ultimately up to you now, regardless of what version you, you choose what operating system, whatever you go with, try to go with the latest and greatest. The latest version of windows is windows 11. Uh, make sure you get it with all the relevant security updates. Um, if you're going to go with Mac, likewise, get whatever the latest is and make sure it's got all the relevant security updates um if you were to do one thing and one thing only as it relates to your security i would tell you the best thing you could possibly do is to ensure that your device is up to date so uh running those security updates i mean makes a massive difference in whether or not you'll experience uh malicious um code and and malicious viruses and things of this nature on your on your computer if we look at malware almost exclusively targets out of date and older windows and mac devices Um, running windows updates and keeping your device right on the edge with all relevant security updates most of the time is sufficient i would tell you you should always do more than that you should always have uh you know anti-malware solution you should always have a firewall and other things like that but if you only did one thing, and I'm not telling you to just do this one thing, but if you only did one thing, that latest update is is the best um, because, I mean, it, it will make a big difference on, on your overall security. Okay, so... Latest version of Windows, latest version of Mac. When it comes to your processor uh, on the Windows side of this, uh, you're really talking about either Intel or AMD, okay? Now, personally, in 2022, I am recommending the AMD processors over the Intel. Previously, I always recommended Intel, but I got to say in the last three or four years, AMD uh, with their Ryzen series and their Threadripper series processors, oh my, I mean, they've made a huge improvement, Um, and I'm personally running an AMD machine, and I couldn't be happier with it. Now, for both Intel and AMD, they come in series. There's a 5 series. Well, technically, there's a 3, a 5, a 7, and a 9. The 3 series don't even consider. It's not something that you should run on your computer ever. Um, A 5, I mean, if you got really, really basic stuff and you're not doing anything complex, maybe consider a 5. But really, for your average user, I would say a 7 is going to be the probably right where you're going to, want to end up being. It gives you the best power and flexibility. It's also going to give you a, a process that will probably have a longer lifespan than uh, either a, five, a 3 or a 5. Uh, when I buy machines, I try to buy them so that they will have a lifespan of at least 3 to 5 years. And I tend to overbuy my needs so that I have a machine that I can use longer. Um, so I don't have to go through the pain of upgrading regularly. But if you're a power user, you're definitely going to want to consider the either the i9 or the Ryzen 9 um, processor, whatever one you choose to go with. And, and I mean, you can read some reviews and figure out which ones work best. Uh, personally, I'm on a Ryzen 9 5900. Um, great processor. Works really, really well. I think you'd have a pretty good experience on Intel as well. Now, on the Mac side of this, the latest and greatest in the Mac world is this M1 chip, which is actually quite different. It is... A departure from the x86 architecture that we have previously had with intel and amd and it is what we refer to as an arm chip arm uh and by all accounts it's rocking um i mean all, they've gotten tremendous really tremendous press and really good reviews on the architecture of this processor and uh, the m1 the m1 max and the latest at the, at the time of the recording here is the m1 ultra all good options for you. Um, one of the best things about the Mac processors and being on the ARM architecture, they tend to be very power efficient, which is pretty cool. So either a 7 or a 9 on the Intel side or on the Mac side, certainly the M1 is the latest and greatest. Now, when it comes to RAM, random access memory, memory for your machine, lots of different options that you can consider for your, uh, for yourself. Um, I would tell you... You know, you should get the the most you could possibly get and you should get the fastest you could possibly get. Memory also has its own clock speed. The faster the memory, the faster the device. And I would tell you in today, 2022, the minimum is going to be 16 gigs of memory for both Mac as well as Windows. The more memory you have, the more multitasking you can have, the more tabs you can have it open in Chrome, the more applications you can be running. And, you know, while there's a lot of the power and processing that is being done in the cloud, these applications and websites now have a huge memory footprint. And having enough memory is going to be the difference between being able to have an Excel workbook open, talking in Teams, listening to music on Spotify and checking, um, your online banking 16 is the minimum 32 is preferred and more Uh, not to brag here um, but my existing machine here has a 130 uh, gigs of memory on it Uh, and it makes a massive difference because i can work and have lots of things open be able to communicate collaborate work on teams have virtual machine open crunch huge numbers in excel and power bi and it all works really efficiently Uh, So having a lot of memory, I would say, makes a huge difference. Now, in terms of hard disk space, it's really kind of up to you. Um, I would tell you at this point in time, minimum 512 gigabytes, uh, certainly a solid state disk. Uh, Everything now should be solid state. The price of solid state disks has come down dramatically. They're nowhere near as expensive as they were even a couple of years ago. Um, And you can even get what are called M2 chips, which are literally just like a microchip that you can put inside of Uh, on your motherboard and my machine here the the one that i'm working with today uh, i i have two m2 chips there is no hard drive i mean they're just literally like memory cards and i mean uh, they're fantastic now the amount of storage space you're going to need it's really going to depend on what the heck you're planning on doing i have a lot of videos i have a lot of photos i'm a photographer uh, i got a lot of files. So I've got a fair amount of hard disk space. I also do a lot of these recordings, which take up a lot of hard disk space. So I've got more. If you're just a casual user working on email, you, you know, kind of uh, maybe some photos here or there, you'll probably be fine with a terabyte, you know, but you might need more. Now, when it comes to GPU, so we have a CPU. A CPU is the processor, central processing unit. And GPU is the graphics processing unit and uh you need one of these too um in a lot of respects the gpu does a lot of work that the cpu can't do efficiently uh and lots of different options when it comes to this but your two big brands that you're going to want to consider are going to be either nvidia or amd um, um either one of our really good options here i i tend to run i think i've got nvidia actually on this computer um, but Whenever possible, get a separate GPU. It's going to make a lot of anything involving computer processing faster, uh, anything involving imaging, video, playback, and more. Uh, those are all GPU capabilities and it's going to make a big difference. Likewise over here for the Mac as well. Um, now, in terms of your extras, you got HDMI, these are your preferable devices, your external devices get the latest and greatest whenever you can. So the latest standard of HDMI, the latest standard of USB-C, USB-C is that brand new plug style. doesn't matter if you plug it in this way or that way, it'll fit. Uh, I inevitably will always plug in USB wrong, So I love USB-C because it'll always just work. So you should consider that as well. And uh, uh, certainly whatever the latest standards for networking uh, would be. So I would tell you uh, when it comes to networking, um, 10 gig internet, 10 gig ethernet is is the latest roughly for most computers, but certainly gig ethernet. You know, previously it didn't really matter because your home internet connection wouldn't be fast enough. Well now myself included, many of us have gig ethernet to our home. So you want to make sure you have that going all the way to your machine. Your computer's internet connection will be as slow as the slowest bottleneck inside your network. And so If you have faster networks, that means ultimately you're going to be able to work more effectively, more efficiently, because you're going to be able to get up to the Internet faster and more consistently. When it comes to Wi-Fi, the latest and greatest is Wi-Fi 6E, although it is not super widespread and it's very expensive as at the time of this recording. Um, If you can't get Wi-Fi 6E, Wi-Fi 6 is still a perfectly good option. Now, here are a listing of some of top portable computers. This is coming from my good friend and colleague uh, Randy Johnston. Uh, who did some research and he came up with some different recommendations here for some different uh, portable computers you might want to consider. For myself, I'm a big fan of the Lenovo ThinkBooks and the ThinkPads. Um, I've had uh, a couple of these over the years. They've always worked really, really well. Uh, I will tell you the Alienware is a really good machine. This is made by Dell. It's going to be super high-end. So if you're a power user and you want a powerful laptop computer, I don't think you can go wrong there. Um, I think the Asus, the ROGs, um, which are a more of a gaming computer, these are going to be fantastic. I have a ROG um, desktop. This computer that I'm on at the moment is an Asus ROG motherboard. And, I mean, they're great. They're really, really good. MSI makes some great stuff as well. Uh, previously, I really only ever recommended the major brands, HP, Dell, Lenovo, um, this is not the case anymore. I mean, frankly, I think my probably my next notebook computer will probably be an ASUS um, or an MSI. I think they're really good uh, brands and companies, and I think you'd have a good experience on them as well. Alrighty, folks, let's go ahead and have a, another review question. How much memory RAM (random access memory) should your next computer have? Okay, should it be four gigabytes? No. This is not 2006, okay? Four gigs does not cut it. Eight gigs does not cut it. Uh, should it have 16? Yeah, I'd say at the minimum. You know, if if you just want to do the minimum, that's a great way of uh, getting started. But uh, 32 will also work. And frankly, I would tell you the more the better. Um, there is an upper limit of it in the sense that, like, I don't think most of you are going to need what I have. Again, uh, I, I think for myself and the manner in which I work and the manner... That of the work that I do, I do a lot of big data projects, a lot of Power BI projects, Excel projects. Um, I don't think you necessarily need that much, but 32 gigs, 64 gigs, those aren't unreasonable numbers anymore, Um, especially when you start looking at some of the footprint of these progressive web applications and Chrome sites uh, and more. Uh, and frankly, most of us are multitasking and the more memory you have, the more you're going to be able to do and the more concurrent applications you're going to be able to have open. Okay. So, uh, the more, the better and whatever you can afford. I mean, it's a fixed cost and once you bought it, you got it and it'll just continue to operate and it's something that'll just pay dividends to you because it's going to make you more effective and productive. Let's talk about our next physical hardware device that we're going to need and We're going to need a monitor of some sort, okay? Lots of different monitor options and choices. And really, I mean, we're starting to get the stuff that's very subjective. It's what you want and how you want to operate and how you want to work. Uh, So everybody's going to have their own choices here. But here's some things that you might want to consider when it comes to choosing your display. I will tell you, generally, it's always best to have a larger, higher resolution display for work. Um, You know, we've got two different sizes that we should be familiar with. You've got the physical size of this. Okay, so the physical monitor dimensions, how much physical space does it take? And then there's also the resolution Uh, and resolution really comes down to how many pixels per square inch on that display. And the more pixels you can put in to a per square inch, the higher the resolution will be. Now, um, in terms of physical size, personally, I wouldn't recommend anything lower than 24 inches, Uh, 27, 32. Those are going to be great. Uh, just because at some point, I mean, it just gets too small. I mean, when I'm on my laptop computer, which is a 15.6 inch display, I mean, it feels tiny and it's high resolution, but still, it still feels small. Uh, so even with my laptop, when I'm like, you know, working at my other office, uh, I will, I will plug it into my docking station and then instantly be able to, um, move the display into larger external machines. Personally, I find that to work better. Uh, so, bigger the better. I've got myself um, six on this machine right here. This is my standard working computer. I've got six 27-inch monitors. So, it's over a 1,000 inches of, of monitor real estate, guess I'll say. And that might sound crazy to you. But for me and the way in which I work, I mean, it. it is a huge improvement in my productivity and my effectiveness in, in, in the work. Now, I run six displays, but they're in lower resolution. Okay? Today's standard resolution is 4K. Personally, for me, I find that density to be a little too much and it's a little too crisp, a little too sharp. Uh, so I actually prefer bigger displays but running at lower resolution. Uh, so I run these six displays at 1080p. And the way I've got it, there are three and three. So there's three on the bottom and then there's three at top and i really like that because for myself um i've got one display that is just my calendar i've got one display that's my inbox and notifications and then i've got uh, one that'll actually just have typically my music and then i've got three down below one two and three here that allow me to be able to spread my workout in the same way like i've got a big work desk in my uh, a shop desk in my in my shop I like having a big space and having to be able to see everything I'm working on and it's the same with your monitors the more space you have the more monitor real estate you've got the more you can spread your work out and kind of see the big picture so whatever you choose to do uh, I would tell you generally bigger is better higher resolution is better I like having the option of 4k you can always drop the resolution if you want to go lower uh, but I would tell you if you're going to buy a monitor today certainly buy contemporary by the higher resolution stuff i'll point out higher resolutions are also coming down the road 8k um not that far out 16k believe it or not even that's not that far out we're talking a couple years here now in terms of your connectors uh how you're going to connect this display Uh, lots of options um historically you could do everything from rca and vga which are an analog connection uh you could do dvi which is a digital connection here Throw all that stuff away. I mean, really, the only connector you should be dealing with today is HDMI, okay? HDMI, which is a standard plug. It's the same thing for your Xbox, your Nintendo Switch, to your TV, to your TiVo recorder and more. It's that same plug. It's the only plug you should be working with today. Uh, There's other types of plugs called DisplayPort as well. I mean, they're kind of a pain in the neck. HDMI is the way to go. It's the standard, and I would tell you it's one of the better options. Okay, now we're also starting to see some different options as it relates to the physical dimensions of the, of the monitor, uh, where you can either get a flat or you can get curved. Uh, now, these, the curved displays literally are like concave. They look pretty cool. Um, kind of allows for more of a natural view. It's really kind of up to you. My wife has a curved display. She really likes it. She has two of them. Uh, it works well for her. You know, it's just really kind of up to you. I like the flatter displays because it lays out better on my desk. Ultimately, I feel like uh, picking whatever lays out best and works best for you is ultimately what you want to choose. Okay. Now, uh, you also want to probably get a mount for your monitor. Now, the good news is all displays use a standard system called VESA, V-E-S-A, to attach to a display to like an arm, basically. Uh, I strongly encourage you not to use the standard like kind of like a monitor stand that comes with your machine. It'll never be at the correct height for how you want to work with. It's always either going to be too high, too low. And there's a lot of damage that you can do, especially with uh, repetitive stress injuries at looking at the wrong level and and just not having, you know, your monitor and your desk set up correctly. Well, VESA allows you to be able to take off that standard standard. mount of the monitor and instead mount it to an external arm uh, that will then attach to your desk and then you can set it to your correct height. Uh, So that's how, for example, I'm able to put and stack three monitors by three monitors. They're all VESA monitors. They're all mounted uh, with each other. Now, one thing I will tell you with respect to your separate displays, if you're going to have multiple monitors, which you should, I personally recommend at least two, Make this is going to come from more of like a you don't have to do this, but I'm telling you, it'll save you a lot of effort and headache. Make sure they're the same monitor, okay? Visually, it it can be very distracting if they're different colors, but then also from a resolution perspective, you don't want one monitor running in one 4K and another monitor running in 1080p. It's going to cause you issues moving applications between displays, okay? When you pick something, commit to it, get two of them, and make sure you're running them in the exact same uh, resolution. Now, I've got some recommendations here from some different displays you might want to consider. I've got a standard monitor. Uh, I've got these Asus, these 28s. They're pretty nifty. I've got them uh, in other parts of my office. Uh, Pretty nice. They work great. I've got a budget monitor here uh, that you can choose to use. There's a nicer, bigger display from Samsung, 32 inches. If you want to go big, the Asus Rogs, those 43, they're really cool. Uh, they also make a curved version of this. That's almost 50 inches big. I mean, it's like, whoosh. I mean, it looks like a, like a cockpit and a, a fighter jet. It's really kind of cool. And you can also get portable monitors too. If you plan on working from coffee shops and you want a second screen on your laptop, Asus also makes these Zen screens, uh, that are USB-C, uh, powered and boy, howdy, are they really kind of convenient and nice. Um, I'm thinking about getting one myself, my colleagues that have them, and they, and they love them. Uh, with these, it's just a single cable, plugs into the USB port of your notebook computer. Instantly, you've got that separate display. Another K2 instructor, a good friend of mine, Tommy, uh, will also um, use his iPad as a second display. There's a couple of different applications that you can get that will allow you to extend your iPad, um, your desktop screen to your iPad, and actually use your iPad as a second screen, too, so if you're working from the from the road. Now you're also going to need a desk. Uh, I will tell you, your desk. I like to think of it as a platform for productivity. It's my. It's where I do my work. Uh, you have lots of options when it comes to desks. It really. It's up to you. I will point out the physical space is probably going to be the big determining factor on what option you choose and and what uh, uh, what you ultimately get inside your uh, inside of your um, space. You know, I mean. Uh, for me, bigger the better. Um, I've got this desk that I'm on right now It is a X desk, um, which is one of the best desks you possibly get. I've I've had, I've got two of them. I really really like them. Um, it's a, I mean, really really nice desk. 82 inches long. I mean, it's huge, and I love it because it's also a standing desk. Uh, I personally highly recommend standing desks for your office. A standing desk gives you a lot of flexibility to be able to sit or stand and work throughout your day. Um, a lot of f- research has been done to show that sitting is the modern, you know, it's, it's not a, it's a modern uh, uh, plight in some respect. I mean, it, it's something that can cause a lot of issues if you sit for the entirety of your career. You know, human beings are intended to get up, and move around, and traditional desks don't really do a good job of that. Uh, I personally love a standing desk. I'm standing at the moment. Okay, with this particular desk, I can make it go up, I can make it go down, and I just do what's comfortable for me. Personally, I go from sitting and standing probably 20 times a day. So I'd recommend a standing desk and just to give you you that uh, flexibility, and it also should hopefully cut down on repetitive stress injuries as well. Uh, I would tell you you might want to also get a foot rest to alleviate any uh, pressure on your feet. I've got a couple of different footrests I use. I'm using one right now that allows me to kind of shift my weight. makes a big difference when you're standing. And I'd also tell you to get a good chair. Um, Lots of different chair options that are out there. I've got an Amazon chair, Amazon Basics chair. And although it wasn't super expensive, uh, their Basics executive chair, it's quite nice and it fits my body uh, well. Now, working remote, you're going to need some sort of printer and scanner. The good news is probably really not going to be a huge focal point for your needs. Um, Frankly, I mean, so much stuff is digital now that uh, the need for printing and scanning, I'd say, has significantly reduced in the last five to six years compared to the first part of the last decade and certainly in the 90s and there before Uh, And if you're working remote, you're probably not going to be printing that much because, I mean, there's really not a need for it. Uh, You might print a plane ticket. You might print an order receipt or something like that, but you're probably not going to be printing that much. So I personally recommend for your remote uh, virtual office here an all-in-one device uh, that has a printer and scanner. It's just going to have a smaller footprint for your office, take up less space, um, less stuff to have. You know, uh, I would tell you for your printer, definitely consider a laser printer. They're more cost effective in the long run and are more reliable in the long run. Uh, inkjet printers, you'll spend a small fortune in ink. The ink will dry out. You'll have to buy more printer ink. I mean, it's crazy what these things can cost. Laser printers are going to cost you more up front. They cost more up front. But uh, I'll tell you, the toner, um, you'll save a lot over the course. Uh, I have an, I have an HP as well as a Brother printer here. I think for my HP laser, it's a laser all-in-one. And I think, I think I've think i replaced the toner like once in the 10 years I've had it. So uh, you'll definitely get a bigger benefit by using that uh, laser printer. It'll cost you a lot less in the long run. Okay, color or monochrome, black and white, up to you. Uh, monochrome will be less expensive. If you want the flexibility of color, you can certainly do that. Um, just up to you. Okay. now uh, I'll also point out, um, you know, if you're doing the occasional scanning, I personally have a dedicated scanner. Actually, I have two dedicated scanners inside of my office. But uh, uh, what I end up using more than anything now is my phone Um, because I don't really do that much scanning now. So much stuff originates as being digital. There's really not a need to scan that much anymore. Now, if you are scanning a lot, I've got a recommendation I'll share with you here in a minute. But if you're just the occasional scanner, you know, you're at a client's office, you need to take a picture of an engagement letter, I would tell you to just use your smartphone. Snap a picture of it. There are plenty of applications, which I'll talk about here in a moment, that you could choose to use uh, that will scan it for you. Now, in terms of printers, um, I'd also tell you to check out Brother uh brother consistently very highly rated have great features they're reliable they're affordable kind of tended to be kind of a hidden gem most people didn't think of brother they always bought hp or canon but uh i gotta be honest uh hp and can hp specifically has been doing some monkey business with how they're handling their their ink uh so it's no longer my first recommendation when it comes to printer brother which is a quality japanese brand again They tend to be very affordable. They tend to do exactly what they say they're going to do, uh, highly rated. And if you're just the occasional printer, I would tell you something like that would be great. Now, when it comes to scanning, if you do need something that is going to be a dedicated scanner, you're doing a lot of scanning for yourself. Maybe you're scanning client files, tax documents, things of this nature. If you're going to do a lot of scanning, I think the best scanners, uh, dedicated scanners, are going to be the Fujitsu's. Uh, the Fujitsu FI eighty one seventy super high speed scanner. It's got a hundred page ADF automatic document feeder. It can scan one side, two sides. Uh, I mean, it's it's fantastic. It's got a nice color LCD panel, so you can see the status of what you're scanning. It supports USB three point two, so the latest fastest scanning, and you can also hardwire it through Ethernet and make it available on your network as well. A little pricey. Um, you It know, comes in about $1,500. You can find it for about $1,300. But if you're a serious scanner, uh, having a dedicated scanner is going to make a big difference to you. Now, as I mentioned, you can also use your mobile phone uh, to be a scanner. There are a couple of different options here uh, out there. Um, there's dedicated mobile apps. My personal favorite is an app called Scanner Pro. That is a dedicated mobile app for ios works great as a scanner but realize that scanning capabilities are built into lots of services and apps that you're using already for example there's scanning built right into microsoft teams as well as an acrobat uh, if you happen to be using either of those applications as well as in OneDrive and sharepoint uh, using any one of these apps you can um, snap a picture of something and it will turn it into a legitimately scanned document And so it's a great way of kind of turning any real world document into a PDF or an image file. And you can even do some advanced stuff with this too. Um, You can do what's called OCR, optical character recognition, where it will scan that page and attempt to turn it into digital text. Uh, Then you can select and copy whole phrases and paragraphs and copy them in emails and more. So it's pretty cool. Um, I use Scanner Pro a lot. I also use Microsoft Teams and OneDrive a lot. The nice thing about Teams and OneDrive, if I need to snap and send something to my business partner I can do it right inside of teams I don't have to create it and then email it and then send it to them I can just open up teams I can hit the camera button and then there's an option to scan a document right with the teams which is really really cool all right folks let's have another review question which of the following mobile apps does not provide scanning abilities okay this should be pretty simple we just talked about it here Okay, is it Adobe Acrobat and Adobe Scan? Nope, 100% provide scanning abilities. Is it Teams? Nope, Teams totally provides the ability to be able to do scanning. Scanner Pro, well, you guessed it. That's certainly supporting as well. Uh, As far as I'm aware, I don't think you can do any sort of scanning with Facebook. That's just a social media uh, company and app. So I would recommend checking out any of these other products and services to do that work for you. Now, when it comes to being productive, I can't undersell the importance of being comfortable. I think comfortable, being comfortable and being productive go hand-in-hand hand with each other. And having good, reliable hardware that feels good for your body and for your uh, method of work I think is really, really important. And so I personally would recommend having a full-size uh, keyboard and mouse uh, for your work, especially if it's a dedicated work environment that you're going to be working from day in, day out. When I'm on the road, I use my laptop, keyboard, it's fine. I use the trackpad, it's fine. But if I'm going to seriously sit down to do some really like significant work, I'm going to be using a full-size keyboard and mouse and and also, whenever possible, full-size monitor as well. It's just going to feel better. It's going to be more productive. It's going And I don't have to... It's just going to allow me to be... It's going to allow me to work the way I want to work. Now, a good keyboard and mouse will cost you about 30 bucks For a standard one, it'll work. It'll be effective. I would tell you to spend a little bit more money, get something premium. Uh, a premium keyboard and mouse is going to feel better. It's going to have better ergonomics. It's going to be more responsive. It's going to be more reliable. Um, you could also get wireless, which is effective. Personally, for me, I like a wireless mouse, but I like a wired keyboard. My keyboard doesn't go anywhere. It's always right in front of me. My mouse, though, I can mean, it can... Move all over the uh, the desk. Now, when it comes to your keyboard and mouse, generally I avoid Bluetooth keyboard mice. Uh, the latest Bluetooth standard are actually pretty good, so I've got a Bluetooth mouse on my laptop that works really well. But previously, and especially older devices, they have connectivity issues, and and sometimes it just doesn't really work that well. Uh, if you are going to go wireless, I, I do recommend that you get stuff with a dedicated wireless controller. The Logitech stuff, in my opinion. Uh, works great. Their wireless uh, controller works really effectively. Uh, Generally, I find this to be pretty reliable. When it comes to a keyboard, again, personally, I like a a wired keyboard. I find that the trade-off of the wireless isn't really there. Uh, Super recommend that you get something ergonomic. Uh, Repetitive stress injuries are a real concern for financial professionals. So getting something that's going to work for you long-term I think is going to be really important. Personally, I would never buy a keyboard that didn't have a 10-key. So uh, that's a personal choice. If you're doing accounting work, as I'm guessing most of us do, 10-key is crucial. So I would strongly encourage you to get that. Now, my preferred brands for keyboard mice, I love Logitech and I love Corsair. Both make great stuff. I've got a Corsair keyboard um, I really like, and I, I think it's got one of the best responsive. It's a mechanical keyboard, so it feels really responsive. The The buttons on the keys come right back up. I love it. And I've always liked uh, Logitech mice. I think they work really well. Now, when it comes to Internet access, uh, it's the lifeblood of your virtual office. I mean, it really is essential for you to be able to work effectively. Uh, And you should have the best, the highest quality, the fastest Internet connection you could possibly afford. Uh, I will tell you that you should generally estimate at least 10 megabits of bandwidth per person working at a location. So if you're working at home and your wife is working from home like I am, you should at least have 20 megabits, 10 megabits for each of you. But higher is always better. Uh, the faster the speed that's always better that you would want to consider. Now, speed isn't the only factor when considering an Internet provider. Uh, you should consider reliability, you know, getting a good, high-quality Internet connection that isn't dropping It's important. Having internet issues will ruin your day. Uh, And I would tell you that it is something that you should strongly uh, consider uh, when choosing your home. I mean, you don't – like I live kind of out in the sticks and the mountains. It's great, but we still have fiber internet. I mean, it's fantastic, so it's the best of both worlds. Uh, But I would never buy a home that didn't have good, high-speed, consistent access to the internet. Uh, I would also tell you you should remember that modern smartphones, especially 5G smartphones – Also could be a great access point, and they're a great backup with respect to your internet connection too. Uh, They're really fast, and in a lot of ways, in a lot of neighborhoods, it can actually be faster than your actual internet connection for your house. So both are pretty good. Um, When it comes to networking gear for your home, I think uh, Netgear's Orbi system or the Google Nest Wi-Fi, also really kind of good options. And whenever possible, you should definitely consider Wi-Fi 6E. And if you can, hardwire your internet connection. I mean, it, wireless is great. It's good for your mobile devices, your tablets. But when it comes to real work in front of a computer, working remote, I personally, I, I prefer to be hardwired. Okay, now the last thing I'd recommend for you is some sort of internet backup solution. If you're working remote, you're definitely going to want to ensure that your data is backed up uh, and available. Uh, in the event that you have some sort of power issue or outage, lots of options when it comes to internet backup solution providers. Uh, you've got um, CrashPlan, you've got Carbonite, you've got Google Drive, you've got OneDrive, you've got SharePoint and more. But you want to make sure that if your computer dies, the building burns down, something else like that, having your data backed up and available is is mission critical because absent of a backup, I mean, you might have to recreate a whole bunch of work that might become very expensive. Lots of providers in this particular space. Um, they can be anywhere from free to 150 plus per year. Uh, my personal recommendation, though, is CrashPlan. Uh, this is a product that I've been using for many years, and it's only 10 bucks per device per month. Uh, and for me, I've got it running on my machines. It's peace of mind. It backs up those computers perpetually, and if there's an, an issue, the building burns down, the computer blows up, it gets stolen, I can restore those files back. Now, if you don't want to pay for a service, just saving your files in something like SharePoint OneDrive is probably good enough. But often you want to be deep in um, your backup solutions. Don't just have one option. You know, hedge your bets and have a couple of options whenever possible. All right, let's go ahead and have our final review question uh, for this segment. And then we're going to go ahead and take a break. Which of the following would be a great option for backing up your data to the cloud? Would it be Carbonite? Absolutely. Crash plan? That would work great for you. And if you don't want to pay for something, you just want to store it. If you're using 365, something like SharePoint would also be great. The correct answer here is all of the above. All right, folks, we're going to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we're going to go ahead and start our discussion on Office 365 and Google Workspaces, giving you some options for different business productivity software in the cloud. Stay with us. Lots more great content and uh, education coming your way. Thank you.